You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome all you wiretappers out there. In this second episode of the Chicago Tribune writer Bob Wiedert's interview of Chuck Cromaldi, he talks about what it's like to be a hitman. Now we think of uh, of a hitman, I always hear people talking about a hitman this and a hitman that, and there's movies about a hitman, somebody's a specialist in murder and they know everything, but, but mainly... Uh, in the outfit, in, in any mob area, there'll be some people that are a lot better than this than others. Everybody kind of has to be ready. If the boss wants it done, you're going to have to help. It's usually more than one, a crew. That kind of that image of a cold-eyed, you know, hitman that goes out and does all of his own legwork and, and uh, sets people up and hits them and has disguises and walks away is, is kind of Hollywood. Uh, they're more uh, just another mob guy, and they don't usually even get paid for it. It's just part of their day-to-day activity. If somebody asks you to kill somebody, uh, your boss does, then you just do it. Now, this author uh, talks about uh, about how this guy, uh, Chuck Cromaldi, has kind of an evil, uh, empty look about him. You know, and there's a line in a Dylan song, song called uh, i think the line goes he stands you stand in the vacuum of his eyes and I, i've stood in the vacuum of guys eyes like this when i interviewed him and and it's just an empty-eyed look it's like they have no empathy sympathy no compunction it, it you'd be like a bug if you were in their way and they had to kill you they'd just kill you and this guy here, I mean, he's taking part in stuff. Grimaldi's taking part in stuff where he hang people up from meat hooks and and beat them. Uh, he helped with Leo Foreman when they killed him. And Mad Sam would, like, you know, just beat this guy and beat him and stamped him with ice pick, stamped ice pick into his testicles. I mean, it was it was just crazy uh, the kind of stuff uh, that he's been taken had that he has taken part of. He's. Uh, he is described as a highly skilled death machine, one of a small band of professional killers in the world. Now, I don't really buy that, but he, he is a guy who who had the, the willpower and the wherewithal who would just do it. He he was a predator. He was a hunter. He, he had always, that's one thing that Mad Sam had asked him to do was go skip trace or hunt or trace down people that owed him money and were trying to... Uh, to avoid him so um, he he is one of these guys who has made a turnaround at age 40 he's got four kids he's a uh, he is a journeyman plumber i don't know how much plumbing work he's done by this time but let's get on into the interview here there's a question what were your personal feelings when you were giving guys trimmings which means giving them a beating or when you helped murder Leo Foreman. You told me that Leo Foreman was a bad guy, that he had it coming. Didn't that kind of thing bother you? Answer, no, not really. You live with the circumstances involved. 99% of the people you meet are no good anyway. Everybody that Sam had a loan sheet on were the scum of the earth. He had the worst people in the city playing juice loans to him. He had the highest interest rates. And anybody that went to him meant they were just bad news anyway and had already been turned down by everybody else. He was kind of, Mad Sam was kind of the payday loan guy of the uh, juice business in Chicago. When you say scum, what do you mean? 
runners, playboys, guys that go out cabaret and spend a lot of money and don't pay their juice debts, don't give their wives any money. I'd like to have a dollar for every guy's wife who set him up for me. As, but as scummy as you say they were, did you figure they really deserved torture or worse? Well, you go by, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, they're told the rules before they take the money, right? They have to abide by the rules. If you don't pursue them, the next guy that comes to borrow figures that it's just all talk. He won't have to pay. In other words, you're just a soft touch and he doesn't have to worry. Question. In other words, when somebody came to borrow from Sam, he'd tell him, I'll eat your eyes if you don't pay me back the money. Answer. Yeah, right out, right out. I'll throw your ass in your face, your mother's face, if you don't pay us. The rules were explained to him right up front and right down the line. Question. And he meant it? Answer. Well, he wasn't going to do it himself. I was or somebody else, but the rules were there. Like he said, we don't advertise in a newspaper. You come and find us. If it's 2 o'clock in the morning, we don't care. You don't care. You need that money. You wake us up. The only thing we ask is that you bring it back by 6 o'clock that night if you're due. Now, if you make us come and look for you, you're in trouble because every hour we spend looking for you, we could be meeting somebody else who wants more money. It's costing us money just to find you. Question, so you thought that the name of the game, they knew the rules, and it was just your job to make to enforce the rules. It was just a job to you. Right, same thing if you steal and you get caught. You know you got to go to jail if you get caught. But you still steal anyway, so if you get caught, you can't cry. Question, but beating people to a pulp didn't bother you? Answer, no, you spend time looking for the guy, and the odds are when you do find him, you're not mad about it, the money anymore. You're mad because you're putting in all this time just to find him. You may have blown a dinner appointment. You may have been to his house. You may have seen there's no food in his home. You may have seen his wife's crying. There's no milk for his kids. But he's out cabareting with a couple of broads, throwing away 40, 50 bucks across the bar. Majority of the time, you wind up taking five bucks out of your pocket just to give it to his wife so she can put food on the table. Just get to know these bad guys. You were committing other crimes at the time, like doing bank robberies and burglaries and hijackings, weren't you? And, and did Mad Sam want you involved in that? No, he did not want us involved in that. He might draw attention to his own rackets if we got caught. Well, then why did you commit these crimes? Well, I needed the money. I used to live pretty high, and what Sam didn't know didn't hurt him. This guy's, this guy's a bold dude. What Sam didn't know didn't hurt him. Well, how much money were you making just from Sam? Well, I was making about twelve, fifteen hundred $1,500 a month. That's between... What Sam was paying me, also part-time work as a plumber. Question, do you like nice clothes and expensive food and good booze? Yeah, I did like all that. Plus, I owed Sam a lot of money. I owed him $6,500 on one wrap that he'd fixed up for me. If you remember, Sam used to, when people would come to him, they would get a juice loan from him so he could go then bribe a police officer or some cases you know how these guys were even bribe all the way up to a judge a prosecutor or something and and fix a uh, a, a crime for you so uh, he owed him $6,500 just for one rap that Sam was taking care of 
How much were you supposed to be paying Sam? Well, he'd take 400 bucks a month until it got paid, so I was needing an extra $400 a month. And I was separated from my wife, but I was still supporting her and myself. It was kind of a rough deal making that $400 a month juice loan payment, driving a Cadillac, taking care of my family, and everything else. Question, let's go back to the victims in the loan shark schemes. Did you ever feel that your victims just had it coming to them? Answer, well, I can't imagine that anybody had any hard feelings about me coming to them and collecting the money. How many police in the city of Chicago would have whacked me thinking they were doing everybody a favor? If you know, we get the chance, just get him up tight and shoot him. See, it's, it's just, it's not personal, it's just business. Question, what about the time you walked into the defense lawyer's office in the loop just to kill him? Didn't that bother you a little bit? Answer, he knew the name of the game. Question, it was as simple as that? Answer, if you play, you got to pay. In my opinion, that's the way it should be. That's the same thing as saying a policeman, if he kills somebody, should he quit the police force? No, that's part of his job. He's going to go out, and if he's got to kill somebody three days later in the line of duty, he'll do it again. A job is a job. What makes a policeman any different from a thief to the extent of his conscience? He didn't know the man, he didn't know the man he was shooting. At least when a bad guy is out, he's got some kind of feeling because he's had dealings with them, the victims. When a policeman's out on the street, and that's a total stranger he's shooting. Question, you're saying that when a police officer shoots a bank robber, that's impersonal. But if you kill somebody, you may know him, and that becomes a pretty personal thing. Answer, right, to a certain extent. One guy's going to go get hit. He was told not to go where he was going because he was going to get killed. I told him, look. Do me a favor and don't go there because if I came and I'm with the people, I'm going to have to shoot you. And I don't want to have to do that because I like you. Well, this one guy, I told him right out, if you're there and I happen to be with them, I got to do it. So please do me a favor. Don't go there. Don't make me be, don't make me be the one that have to kill you. That's the second episode of the interview of Charles Chucky Cromaldi. It's quite an interesting story and a real insider's view of the, the thinking process of a hitman and a career mafia soldier. As always, I thank you for listening to my podcast. And if you have a friend or a relative that has a problem with drugs or alcohol, make your first call to first call. Call 816-361-5900 or go to their website, www.firstcallkc.org. If you have iTunes, if you think about it, give me a review. If you enjoyed what you hear and like to support the podcast, hit the Venmo app, V-E-N-M-O. Give me a buck or two. Buy me a cup of coffee. There's other ways to support the podcast. You can go to my website, www.ganglandwire.com. Hit the donate button. I produced a documentary film. Buy that, Gangland Wire. You can buy that on the shop page. Or if you make a $25 donation, I'll send you a free copy of the documentary. I've written a companion book to my documentary, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. And I suggest you get the Kindle version because, see, I, I use, this is a story of the skimming case from Chicago and Kansas City, Cleveland and Milwaukee, The uh, really the story behind the story of Casino. And I got all the wiretaps from the trial. I hooked all the wiretaps, the transcripts that I used in the book, in the Kindle version, you can click a link and go right to the actual audio of the wiretap and hear the actual people saying those words of 
plotting and planning to skim from Las Vegas casinos. I have over 200 free back episodes of Gangland Wire for your listening pleasure. And don't forget about the Kansas City Mob Tour app and the Apple Store. Good night, all you wiretappers. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.